1: WABE in Atlanta. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. An unusual music competition takes place at the Eastern tomorrow night. Later in the program, City Lights senior producer Kim Drobes will give us a preview of the Red Bull Sound Clash. Today marks the first full day of Hanukkah, the Jewish Festival of Lights. We'll hear about different Hanukkah traditions in the U.S. and Israel, along with various holiday foods from Chef Alain Balshon of Alain's Bakery and Market in Atlanta. First, Kenny Leon's True Colors Theater Company, returns to live performance at Atlanta Southwest Art Center with Marie and Rosetta, opening tomorrow and running through December 30th. The show celebrates the legacy of the godmother of rock and roll, Sister Rosetta Tharp, and her protege, the gospel singer Marie Knight, Jamil Jude is the Artistic Director of True Colors. He joins me now via Zoom to talk about the production and True Colors' new season. Jamil, welcome back to City Lights.
0: Lois, always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you again for the invitation.
1: Oh, likewise. So tell us, now that we can return to in-person performance. Why did you want to return to this stage with Marie and Rosetta?
0: You know, part of the thing that has been keeping us hopeful throughout the pandemic, with all of the ups and downs of the last, what, 20-something months, has been this production. It was postponed during our She Grios season, which was a celebration of Black women storytellers. And That was our 2019, 2020 season. And what excited us most about it was not just the opportunity to celebrate Sister Rosetta Tharp and and, and inform more people about her amazing story, but we wanted to put a Black woman design team around it, you know, from the director, the music director, the props designer, the scenic designer, the costume designer, all supporting by Black women. Uh, Because in the American theater, that just doesn't happen enough. So as we continue to move through the pandemic, we knew that this show that really crystallizes True Colors' mission to celebrate Black storytelling, but also continue to prove to the American theater that those that have been historically excluded have important stories to tell and can tell them with a level of artistic excellence. We wanted that show to be what True Colors returned to the stage. And we're thankful that it happened to fall in this holiday season. So as people kind of gear up, to join in with their family as we move into the Christmas holidays and the December holidays. We think this is the best show to return uh, to our work.
1: Oh, it is so important to celebrate this legacy. And it's surprising that there are still many people who don't know about these musicians. Would you give us some background on Rosetta Tharp and Marie Knight?
0: Well, I think the best part about it is when you have a chance to watch her videos and you see this virtuosity in her guitar playing, you're like, oh, okay, I understand now why Elvis Presley or Jimi Hendrix credits her as being an inspiration. When you think about what it was like to bend genre, Uh, She was a Northern Black woman, but played and had a lot of audiences in the South and speaking to experiencing Jim Crow. And while she's entertaining the masses, having to hire white bus drivers to drive her around inside these uh, Southern towns because getting stopped, you know, was a potential risk on her life. And I think even here in this present, we recognize that. It's an unsafe thing sometimes, unfortunately, to uh, exist inside of a Black body uh, and travel here in the South. Uh, So the fact that she was doing it here in the 1930s and 1940s and still selling out shows, topping record charts and being an inspiration, albeit unknown to her, to so many other artists. It's a story of perseverance, of doing something that you believe in and knowing that it will have a legacy And as we are kind of celebrating True Color's legacy, looking at our 20th anniversary next year, it epitomizes what we do. And Marie Knight was, you know, started with Mahalia Jackson and her gospel entourage. And Marie Knight went on to have a really amazing career too and really grew because of her relationship to Rosetta Tharp. So, you know, she was inspiring people that were her contemporaries and people who worked alongside her, but also future generations literally known as the godmother of rock and roll, like you mentioned.
1: Mm. Where does the story situate Rosetta Tharp and Marie Knight in terms of their lives and careers?
0: You know, it, it, it puts us really at the beginning of their relationship and their partnership. Uh, we see Sister Rosetta Tharp really at the peak of her career as a very talented artist, knows what she knows, knows how talented she is. And Marie, being introduced, we get to meet her as a underconfident young performer who is in awe, kind of like in this youthful awe of Rosetta Tharp. And over the course of the evening, we find them at a rehearsal, the first time they get to rehearse before a show, and just grow into the roles that they will eventually serve, where you know, Rosetta desired for Marie to be seen as an equal and as a Marie and Rosetta, Rosetta and Marie, where Marie initially is like, oh, I'm just playing backup. And it's like, you're not my backup. And I think there are certain phrases and words that audiences will have a chance to experience over the course of this run that will resonate. And this idea of someone empowering you and saying, you're not my backup, just how powerful that is when we talk about chosen family, when we talk about building community, someone pouring into you and giving you that level of confidence that can last for decades, which it did for Marie. You know, it puts a smile on my face.
1: Really, a lot of beauty there. I read the show opens with the two musicians rehearsing amidst a room of coffins. What is the symbolism there, Jamil?
0: Well, you know, I think what the play wants to ground the audience, just this is the type of circumstance that these performers had to find ways to excel through. Being the only place in this small town where they can find a room with a piano in it to rehearse before the show, and we find that this is the place that they're gonna have to return to to sleep tonight because there is no other place in this town where these two Black women are going to be able to be safe. You know, they aren't allowed lodging and they have to, in these real clandestine ways, find a way to do their art, prepare for this show, go and perform, and then come back to this funeral home and decide where they're gonna lay their head. The play just really situates us in that circumstance. And then we get to see, oh, but this room cannot contain their brilliance. And I think that's some of the beauty of the play.
1: What issues do Marie and Rosetta discuss in the show that sadly are still relevant today? You mentioned feeling unsafe in a black body traveling in the South in a small town that's all white.
0: Yeah, well, you know, body safety is definitely one that uh, is explored here. I think they also uh, talk about finding chosen family and community and building a bond. And that's one of the things that I actually want to celebrate about it is that Rosetta Tharp lived her life as an out lesbian woman. And that was a difficult thing to manage in the 40s. And still today is difficult for some people. But Through the partnership with Marie, you know, you find more comfort in being who you are. And Marie found an opportunity to say, "Okay, maybe the story that other people want to paint for me, she is initially presented as a demure and a church mouse. And over the course of the play, you get to see her grow more into who she will ultimately become over the course of her life. I think that is an important story that I don't want people to gloss over, is that through the people that we bring into our lives and the community we can build around ourselves, we can all have an opportunity to kind of stand up a little bit taller, move our shoulders back, and find a community that will accept us for who we are. I think that's the one of many take-homes Audiences will experience. And I think that's you know why it's important, also why we situated it around the holidays. Yes, the holidays are about sharing and joy, but it's also about chosen community.
1: If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wright's speaking with Jamil Jude, the artistic director of Kenny Leon's True Colors Theater Company. Sister Rosetta enjoyed playing gospel music in the morning and swing music, or what we would think of as rock, in the evening. Would you talk some more about this duality that she balanced?
0: When the show got postponed, we decided to move forward with a community conversation called Sacred versus Secular. And what we hoped to accomplish with that conversation is to really speak about this duality that oftentimes we try to put them on two opposite ends. And the truth is so many of us have to navigate those spaces, especially as musical performers, those who sing in churches or something equivalent to that, and then also find opportunity in the secular world. Uh, All too often, I think when we put them on opposite ends, it it, it forces people to feel like they have missed out. We've been talking, Lois, over the course of this conversation around chosen community. And we think that, I believe, that our chosen community is powerful enough to span those two uh, ideals and that beauty can be found inside that middle. And because you find joy and value on one side does not necessarily mean that the joy that you can find on the other side is bad or inherently good. What Sister Rosetta does, and what I'm really excited by this show being part of our go back and get it season, is that we are returning to retrieve these types of narratives. Let's learn more about people who spanned that gap so that those contemporary artists who find themselves living with that duality may grow more comfortable and saying, you know, if Sister Rosetta could do it, so can I. If someone like Marie Knight, who grew in her confidence to say, yes, okay, it is okay for me to love God and also play rock and roll like Sister Rosetta Tharp.
1: Jamil, did you see any of the PBS series on The Black Church with Henry Louis Gates?
0: Yes, we uh, worked with PBS and shared it to our audience, and it was happening right around the time we were doing our sacred versus secular conversation, so it all was circling around the same time.
1: Oh, it was just fantastic. And a local treasure, well, I guess he's a national treasure, but he is locally based. The Reverend Dwight Andrews was the senior music consultant for this series. And they discussed what you were saying. I think they described it as Saturday night versus Sunday morning when it really, it being the beauty of both forms of music, should exist on a continuum. Well, and, and
0: it's funny that you mentioned White Andrews. We are going to work with his church on something coming up soon, a partnership we have with the Atlanta Opera oh, good. that uh, we'll talk about on another opportunity here, I hope. And Dwight has been a member of the True Colors extended family on our team of advisors. So I love Dwight and uh, I definitely could have mentioned him and somebody who has, you know, brought his knowledge of music and has shared that gift both in secular and spiritual spaces. So it fills me with joy to hear his name mentioned in this.
1: Always. He's an amazing intellect, musician and person. I can only imagine what it's like. Have him as your spiritual guide as well. So let's talk about the music. Another treasure, S. Renee Clark is the music director of this show. We just had her on talking about Fats Waller and the musical Ain't Misbehaving. What can you tell us about the music in this production? Are there numbers that you would deem highlight? You know, I want to just have
0: an opportunity to brag on S. Renee Clark. I know your audience has had a chance to listen to her and hear her talk about it, but it can't be undersold, her contribution to the Atlanta music scene, the Atlanta theater scene, and as an internationally renowned artist, I want to make sure that she gets her flowers in time so that she's not one of the artists that get lost to the sands of time and it's really inspiring seeing her work with these young artists. We have artists who are making their True Colors debut, these two amazing women who are playing Marie Knight and Sister Rosetta Tharpe. And S. Renee tells story through music. And that's the beauty of the music in the show. You know, of course, you have rocking Rock music that's gonna make you tap your foot, like a song, Sis Rosetta's song, I Can't Sit Down.
2: sit down No, no, I can't sit down. Sit down, uh uh-uh, uh, I can't sit down. Uh, go away, don't bother me, I can't sit down. I feel so happy and I can't sit down. Sit down, no, I can't sit down. I'll sit down, no, no, I can't sit down. I no, no. Oh, no I can't sit down I feel so happy and I can't sit down who's that yonder dressed in white I just got to heaven and I can't sit down it must be the usual of children like I just got to heaven and I can't sit down
0: sit down it's so expressive and there's a little bit of like percussive guitar playing that you see through it uh, and it just like really just like rocks you uh and it hits you in your chest and all the kind of ways and Uh, makes you feel good. But there are also these soul-stirring gospel ballads that you hear as the play moves to some more personal and emotional spaces. There are opportunities where the performers really get to just sit in the emotion of the moment. And of course, we know with musicals and theater, uh, when a character can't speak, they are moved to song. This play does a really great job of Placing songs from Marie Knight and Sister Rosetta Tharp and gospel standards into the show that they feel so seamless. So when a when a when a character on stage has no other words and they break into song, it helps carries that emotional weight through that moment, and we feel like we haven't skipped a beat. And that it wasn't like oh the play stops and now let's just sing a really you know beautiful song like some jukebox musicals. You no, know, every song feels like it's perfectly placed. And Renee is doing a, an amazing job in leading these actors, along with Andrea Fry, leading these actors to those moments where, you know, you, you you find yourself moved, even just in a run uh, a couple of days ago. I was so moved by it, and I can't wait for
1: audiences to see the show tomorrow. It just occurred to me, did you have to cast an actor who could play mean guitar? How, how do you get around that?
0: Well, you know... The good thing about actors is that they have to step up <laughs> when <laughs> uh, when there are opportunities. You know, you have to learn to get familiar with the guitar. I remember an actor a long time ago, uh, was an actor who was in like the hospital procedurals, right? And you're like, they happened to study organic chemistry in college they were talking about it and said, hey, you know, I didn't know then that, you know, 15 years later, I'll be playing a role uh, as a lead physician on a TV show. And I think actors... Uh, in the theater are are in that same vein. You get the call, hey, you're going to play gospel and rock and roll legend Sister Rosetta Tharp. Well, let's get you a guitar. Uh, So we uh, got our Rosetta uh, Tharp. uh, Her name is Demetria Fane. We got her a guitar early so that she could uh, work with uh, a guitar instructor to get more familiar with it, learn how to play of course, through the magic of the theater, we will find ways to make sure that she looks exactly uh, as good as Sister Rosetta Tharp did up on that stage. But actors, that's what makes them brilliant. They rise to the occasion. And, and Jasmine Renee Ellis on piano, she's learned the piano as well. So that's been, that's been really exciting to see them step up. In addition to learning the music, in addition to learning the lines and telling a beautiful story, we have to really give these young artists stepping up uh, all of their their accolades.
1: True Colors season 19, this season starts the Sankofa seasons with the mantra, go back and get it. What does Sankofa mean, and, and how will it translate to this new season?
0: Oh, I, I'm so excited by this Sankofa seasons. True Colors, over the next three years, are celebrating the Sankofa season. Sankofa comes from the Adinkra symbol and it's a West African like symbolic uh, language where the symbol of a often represented as a bird with its feet facing forward but its head looking back. It connotes a meaning that a journey forward begins with a glance back. Uh, I mentioned earlier True Colors is staring at our 20th anniversary season next year. And as we started to think about, okay, what does it mean for a Black theater company here in Atlanta to be celebrating 20 years with the rich legacy that we have of storytelling in our community? What does it mean for us to go back and look at our history, but also preparing us for the future? I mean, I just became artistic director three years ago, so we're still very much in a forward looking phase. So this idea of preparing ourselves for that future by going back to our past, we wanted to spread that over the the next three years. So season 19 is all about going back and retrieving these narratives from the 20th century to see what they can tell us about this present moment. So our plays this year are set in the 20th century. Marie and Rosetta set in the 1940s, *Raisin* the Musical set in the 1950s, and the story of Fannie Lou Hamer set in the 1960s to see what can we learn about how we are existing as a community, as individuals, as Black people, in this present moment. So what we hope to learn about this production are, again, the role of Black women in moving our narratives forward, right? Atlanta is really rich. We have had Black women as mayors. We've had Black women as leaders. Black women are moving the culture forward. Thankful to have so many Black women artists on this, and they're multi-generational, like Andrea Fry and her rich tradition and history in the Atlanta theater scene, Andrea Fry. And they're giving it back to our performers who are in their 20s and early 30s uh, so that they can then go on and have an amazing legacy. That's the part that we want to go back and get and say, yes, the story of our time can't be told without acknowledging the contributions of Black women. And that concept of go back and get it, that beginning phrase of Sankofa, we will push through the entirety of this season.
1: Jamil Jude, congratulations on your return to live performance. And thank you so very much for talking with me. It's always a joy.
0: You know, the highlight of returning to live theater is getting a chance to talk to you, Lois. So thank
1: you. Thank you. Thank you. Jamil Jude is the artistic director of Kenny Leon's True Colors Theater Company, Marie and Rosetta. Will be on stage at the Southwest Fulton Art Center in Atlanta, November 30th through December 30th. In a moment, we'll talk Conica traditions and food with Chef Alain Balchon. You are tuned to WABE Atlanta. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wright's It's great to have you along. The Jewish Festival of Lights, known as Hanukkah, began with the lighting of the first candle last night. To celebrate, we'll listen back to my interview with Chef Alain Balshan of Alain's Bakery and Market in Atlanta the Israeli native of Moroccan and Egyptian background began by detailing what it's like to celebrate the Jewish holiday in Israel.
3: Well, all holidays in Israel are very different because everybody, literally everybody, celebrates it one way or another. Some are Orthodox, some are not Orthodox, but you feel it in the air. The stores are closing early, You know, the holidays in the street, you know, in in, in the high holiday, Yom Kippur and all that, everything is shut down. Nobody drives, nobody, you know, so it's a totally different feeling. Every holiday here is very different that way.
1: But Hanukkah, in particular, I think, is different. And even in my lifetime, I've noticed a difference. When I was growing up, we lit candles, of course, always— we had lotkeys and played with a dreidel. But a present would be a little box of crayons exactly. or something. Correct. You know, the Correct. little chocolate Hanukkah gelt, the coins. Now, Bloomingdale's has a Hanukkah shop. And, and Tiffany has this huge ad in the New York Times saying happy Hanukkah. And I want to say thank you because it's wonderful that American non-Jews want to be inclusive, but the holiday does not have the same significance as Christmas.
3: It does not. And I, and it's interesting that you said it because I was going to say that American Jews celebrate different than Israelis. Because as a kid, you know, I got some chocolate guilt or that was about it. It yeah. wasn't a big deal. And over here, I had a lot of people, not Jewish, that would tell me, "Oh, I heard you guys get a new present every single night." And I'm like, "No, no. I don't think so. <laughs> you know, that's not the way it was." But maybe some other people will, like we talk about, you know, assimilation and all that. People want to, you know, other people get gifts for Christmas, so Jewish people want to match that and say, "Well, we're going to also have that, or maybe we'll have more." I don't know. Just an assumption I'm making. It
1: it is a part of assimilation. But your father is Moroccan. Your mother was Egyptian. How did their backgrounds inform your approach to food? Well, the food
3: at home was, well, it was some Moroccan and some Egyptian. All the food in Israel kind of mix up. And in the end, you know, the Sephardic food rules. You know, it's the best food really compared to the... Sorry for all the Ashkenazis out
1: there, but it's just better food, you know. <laughs> we should add, in terms of heritage, <laughs> these are two subcultures of Jews. Those of European background are identified as Ashkenazic. Those of Spanish, Portuguese, North African, and Middle Eastern are Sephardic. And yes, you have better food. But please, continue. Continue.
3: So that's it. So there was, you know, some Egyptian specialties that my mother would cook that I grew up on. What were they? You know, hummus is probably Middle Eastern and more Egyptian than it is Moroccan, but it's national. It's like a pizza in America. Mm-hmm. That's what hummus is in Israel, you know. There is a very particular dish that is Egyptian people cook. It's called molochia, and it's like a green leaf that is cut with a misaluna, you know, like a round knife and it's sharp, very fine, and you make like a soup from mm-hmm. chicken or beef, and you mix it in. It's very thick, and it's delicious. I grew up on it, you know, it's, uh, it, uh, I'm very subjective about it. So once in a while, I'll go and make some of it. The spices, could, the strong spices in it are cumin and coriander.
1: In terms of the Hanukkah food tradition, the Eastern European, the European Jews, those of us with that descent had potato pancakes, mm-hmm. latkes, right. and the Sephardic Jews have something very different. Tell mm-hmm. us about the Hanukkah traditional food. Well,
3: there's a there's a couple there's a couple of things that we do. Some Moroccan, particularly, do um, fried dough that is called sfinge and it is uh, like a dough batter like and it's got yeast in it and it proof and then you pick it up with your hand and you kind of throw it in the oil and then most israelis would have sufganiyot which is a donut or in germany it would call a berliner uh, oh so, that's where
1: john f kennedy got in trouble mm-hmm. when he said ich bin ein berliner what? that meant i am a jelly donut because he should have said, Ich bin Berliner without Ein. (laughs) I did not know that was the same thing. Mm, So what's essential is that whatever the food, it must be cooked in oil to commemorate the miracle of the oil.
3: Correct, correct. So we fry a lot of things, yeah, during Hanukkah especially.
1: There was something in the New York Times, an opinion piece about Hanukkah, and I thought this was rather sad. (laughs) The man wrote, in terms of God's miracles, he thought that was a pretty lame one. And I thought, wait, what? And then I got to thinking, burning bush, Red Sea parting. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't call it lame, but... Hanukkah is a festival. It's not a religious holiday observance.
3: What I li- I like, one of the things I like is that the, the light defeat the darkness, and I like the message of that.
1: Yes. Alan, I had never heard of borekas before okay. you featured them. What are borekas, and what's their origin?
3: So borekas come from, I think, Turkey. But uh, on the entire Middle East, you know, everybody that's surrounds, they all make it one way or another. Um, so this, the the Greeks do the spanakopita. Mm-hmm. So that's a type of puff pastry. It's not exactly puff pastry, but it's done in a layered dough, which is similar. Turkish do the same thing. You know, so my mother do. Uh, you know, also borekas, Egyptian, pretty much the Middle East area. That, that's that's uh, who does it. So. Growing up, you know, there were stores that, you know, every, every bakery always sold that.
1: At Alon's Bakery, you offer the full array of treats from both traditions. One of the traditions that children delight in is playing dreidel, a little spinning top. And the letters on the dreidel in Israel are different from those elsewhere. Would you talk about all things dreidel? Sure.
3: So, you know, as a kid, we had dreidels, the same like here, you know. Um, and, you know, our dreidels say that, you know, the miracle, the letters represented the miracle was here. Well, in America, the, dreidels, the miracle was there. That's what the letters signify yes. on the, around it. But we had a different kind of dreidel. It didn't have any letter or anything. And we didn't call it dreidel. It was, well, we called it in Hebrew. It was sevivon, you know and um we used to tie it was some kind of a cone with a metal corner in, in the, it was a metal edge and then we take a piece of rope and we tie it around the cone and then with the hand swing you kind of shoot it to the ground and it kind of spin really really fast and then you go with your hand and you pick it up and then you play against the other mates that have also drained like that and you kind of hit it with your hand
1: this is serious oh yeah dreidel. that was that was this like, is extreme oh, dreidel th- this was
3: extreme dreidel and it was awesome i loved it
1: <laughs> and so it was it was part- not
3: boring like the little dreidel you know it's just gonna play oh it's all oh, right like, i this love was the fun. little dreidels
1: <laughs> i i was very good at flicking those things
3: yeah
1: <laughs> but but did you play that extreme dreidel at Hanukkah, or was that... We,
3: tried, we played all year long, but at Hanukkah as well. I mean, it wasn't... It's just, it just a similar thing. They both turned the same right. way and all that. Oh,
1: so I love it. So. Alain Balshan, thank you very much for showing us how scrumptious and how unifying food can be.
3: You're welcome. My pleasure.
1: Chef Alain Balshan. You can listen to that entire interview on our website, wabe.org citylights City Lights. Coming up, we'll hear about a unique music competition coming to the Eastern tomorrow night. You are tuned to WABE Atlanta. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wright's. Thank you for being here. Tomorrow evening, the Eastern is hosting a rumble. It's the Red Bull Sound Clash, and it will be a battle of the brave voices of Shelley, formerly known as DROM, and Westside Boogie. City Light senior producer Kim Drobes recently talked to the competitors over Zoom. They were also joined by Joshua J-1 Rayford, the host of Sound Clash, and Junya Abidu, the founder of Love Renaissance, the Atlanta-based label that's home to both Shelley and Boogie j one started their conversation by explaining the rules of the competition.
2: Yeah, it's really exciting because uh, SoundClash is like nothing else that's out there. It's, it's not a concert. It's really a clash of styles, music, um, an expression of creativity, and just a, just a celebration of two dope artists being, this time, uh, Westside Boogie and Shelly. And you got two artists, two stages, and one winner. Even though it's a friendly competition, there's still gonna be a winner. It's gonna be determined by the crowd. And there's six rounds. So the first round is a warm-up round. Each artist is gonna play four songs of their own. Round two is the cover. Each artist will perform the same cover song, but in their own unique style, which is cool because Boogie has his own style, Shelly has his own style, and they're both unique and great in their own ways. Then round three, you've got the takeover where one artist will start performing his song and then the other artist has to jump in halfway through and finish performing that same song. Round four is the wild card where each artist will bring out a special guest. Round five, the sound clash, where the artist will play two of their own songs but in different styles. So they might do it like reggae, EDM, who knows? Like you just have to be there. And then the final round, both artists will come out together and perform on the same stage for the final celebratory moment. It's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of edgy. I'm excited.
4: There's a lot more to this than I even realized. Can we focus for a second on the takeover round?
2: Yeah, the takeover round. That's going to be wild right there. Uh, you know, I was, I, I was on IG Live with both Boogie and Shelly. And, uh, you know, they're fans of each other's music, but it's going to be a friendly competition. So I I can't wait to see how they flip that, where one artist starts their own individual song and then the other artist has to come in uh, midway through and finish the song. So that's going to be really interesting. I've never seen anything like
4: it. Yeah, me neither. That sounds really, really cool. And Boogie, you and Shelly have been smack talking each other for weeks now on Instagram. (laughs)
5: Yes, we have.
4: I think I read that uh, Shelly said it's curtains for you. <laughs> and, you know, I'm fixing to smoke my brother's boots. It's all all going down. So how are you feeling going into tomorrow night's event?
5: I'm excited. Super confident. I think it's so dope because um, I'm naturally competitive. I know she- Shelly is naturally competitive, but we also... Our, our super close friends So I think it's just gonna be dope That we got the opportunity to do this
4: Right on Just in case some of our audience Isn't familiar with your music Let's go ahead and play a taste of Boogie's music This song is called Silent Ride Silent
5: Ride on. I got all these voices in my head mm-hmm. Got too many in my bed mm-hmm. I don't store the number just to see it I start scrolling through the text And look for pictures in the thread mm-hmm. I'm on your head You only banging because it's streaming, ain't you? only gang when it's convenient ain't you ain't you ignore the grade from every teacher i was going up the be while i was trying to get jamesha who am i all all, yeah. i can't lie i'm detached I
4: need Bookie, do you mind if we go sideways for one second back in september i saw that you asked fans to send you submissions that you could then use as cover art for your single float mm-hmm I love that idea is that yeah, thank something you that you've done before it was so cool and you got some great submissions
5: no um it was actually just me trying to find a creative way to interact with my fans because I know I haven't dropped the album like two or three years so I know sometimes they be getting fed up with me so I just be trying to make sure I interact with them make sure I let them know that I'm grateful all the time so I'm just grateful to have a super uh, great fan base that always want to talk to me, even if they cussing me out. So I just came <laughs> up with that uh, that idea on uh, at the last minute.
4: You really did get some incredible submissions. My personal favorite didn't happen to be the one you chose, although that <laughs> one's great too. I really love the one of you walking on water.
5: Yeah, a lot of people did like that one, and honestly, I don't think anybody was happy with the one I chose. So I probably oh really. <laughs> I probably picked the wrong one, but shout out to that artist that did that.
4: Oh, man. Well, you know, whatever. Hard to pick the wrong one when you're exactly. giving a lot of really good stuff. Exactly. A lot of exactly. good
1: stuff.
4: All right. So back to the smack talking. Why do you think you have this down compared to Shelly?
5: You know, it's crazy. Both of us are, are super versatile. Like, he's known for his singing. Anybody that's not familiar with our music, uh, he's more known for singing. I'm more known for rapping. But I come from a singing background. Shelly be saying he comes from a rap background, but I got to see it to believe it. Everybody know it's proof I come from the church. It's written down. It's facts. So Y'all can go look this up. So I feel like I'm a little more versatile than my brother, but he cool too, but you know.
4: Do you think that there's a particular part of the competition that you are definitely more suited for?
5: Um, Yeah. I think when we got to do each other's songs um, and, and I have to sing and he has to rap, I think I sing better than he raps. So that's what
4: I'm, I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping for. Right on. So, Junior, we're super happy to have you with us as well. And Atlanta is really quite lucky to have a label like Love Renaissance in our city. Can you tell us a little bit about how you guys got started? So,
6: we actually started in 2012. Myself and four of my friends, who are the other co-founders, Sean, Carlin, Justice, and Tunde. We all just kind of met by way of Georgia State University. Some of us promoted parties. You know, some of us were just kind of getting our first foot in the door in terms of the music industry by just trying to manage different artists. And um, yeah, we all kind of had a similar vision in terms of wanting to tell stories for artists and really just create worlds for artists' music to live in. And so initially, we were working with a kid named Rory, who's also from the Atlanta area. He's from Stone Mountain. The five of us kind of formalized our working relationship on that one. From there, it just led to a bunch of other amazing artists. Shelly was one of the next ones that we started working with. We, we caught a stride where we, we started to really pinpoint artists like Shelly and like Rory and like Black that were really unique and um, kind of left the center and not like exactly what you would expect from the music industry at that time. And so, you know, we tried to really kind of focus in on that and try to tell those stories the best that we could.
4: That's very cool. And when did you get Boogie on board?
6: So Boogie joined this team in 2019.
4: I was lucky enough to see on YouTube the Rap Caviar Cypher that you had everyone participate in. It was so good.
6: Glad you liked it. That was a random idea that my partner Justice had. It, it came out pretty good, though.
4: Boogie, how was it for you participating with those other amazing talents?
5: Oh, yeah, it was It was dope. Um it's crazy because every time I get around like other rappers and it's like a cypher, I just get in competitive mode. And I almost forgot they was my label mates because, you know, it's just like I'm just ready to rip everybody's head off when I start rapping. But it came out amazing. I love being able to, like, cypher with, with anybody. I just love rapping. So it came out dope and I love that.
4: Yeah, it was super cool. And I got turned on to artists that I didn't know before. So um, if anybody out there hasn't checked it out yet, it's pretty easy to find. Rap Caviar Cypher. So Shelly, you've been hearing some of the smack talk that's been headed your way from Boogie. I've heard you say things like, I love him to death, but it's going to look like I hate his guts. How are you feeling going into tomorrow night's event?
7: Well, I just I have that uh, competitive spirit in me just riling me up uh, more so than ever, because I've never been in a position to where like, my talents was put up against somebody else now. You know, like on Twitter or something like that, you know, people have their conversations putting artists up against each other or whatever. They're talking amongst themselves, but I don't think it's really been a time where it's like, you know, someone versus someone and the crowd actually decides. So, you know, as much love as it is, I'm just going to give it my all. Like, I'm not going to cut any corners. I'm just going uh, <laughs> to do what I came to do with the best of my ability.
4: I like your confidence. And for those who are unfamiliar with Shelley's work, let's go ahead and play one of your songs. This is Shelley featuring Summer Walker, and it's called All Pride Aside.
7: You, 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 you. Since we not ourselves, i keep you. If you keep me, since we not ourselves, i keep playing you. If you
4: keep letting me So, Shelly, is there a certain section of the competition that you're feeling strongest about?
7: I have a certain little trick up my sleeve. Because do you now? Yeah, because, I mean, Caretaker, the, the record that he's going to um, do a take of of mine, like, that's very, it's like, it's like one of those culturally, if you know, you know, very like niche type of uh underground hits, like a lot of and a lot of our fans intertwine. So when that record comes on and he get the chance to do his thing to it, it's just like oh my god. So I have a, I have a little way to try to thwart that. I don't know how how effective it's gonna be, but that's the portion of the show that's on my mind the most. I got I got I got a trick or two.
4: So do you feel comfortable, and would you like to talk to our audience at all about your name change and and style change that's happened recently?
7: Most certainly. In a nutshell, it's like quite a different path compared to the records that were popularized when I was just going under the moniker drum. Even though many of those elements were jam-packed right into what I did, I feel as though records like Broccoli and Cash Machine overpowered mm-hmm. the overall message that I had and um drum kind of got connected to those records more than the totality of what I did so mm-hmm. it so you know it it's almost like if you were to ask somebody maybe even to this day like you know if they know drum you say when you when you think of drum what's the first thing you think of you know what I'm saying my lifestyle changed as well very drastically started just making Different life decisions uh, and just looking at things with a deeper perspective, a clearer perspective. I just feel blessed that I've been able to sit it now and reevaluate things. So it's like a just a new leaf on life. So I felt as though just going along, like you know switching it, Shelly. You know, uh hopefully in the very near future it'll just be. Shelly, you know what I'm saying? Like, but the FKA drama is definitely there to familiarize you with, you know, where I was at. This just, is where I am now. I hope that it makes sense.
4: It really does. And I really like the fact that you're being very open over lifestyle changes and having to overcome some struggles and the music is, it's just so much more grown up sounding.
7: Oh yes. Thank you very much.
4: One of the things I found adorable on your Instagram account is the little Shelly show videos that you've been doing.
7: Yes, ma'am.
4: <laughs> How did that come about? They're so cute.
7: So uh a lot of a lot of thanks has to go out to my creative director, Steve Othello. Uh he he's just he's been there like every step of the way since Big Baby Drum and like you know, when we called him back up, like, yo, it's album time, played him the music, told him what, what type of time we were on. He was just all the way on board. And then one day he called called me and the guys were like, Hey, I had this perfect idea. I think I think it would go really great. You know, we can do a talk show type of vibe. You know, it can be a Shelly show at night. And I'm just like, Oh my God, like, bro, you're we're in there. You know, I just loved it. It's the Shelly
4: Show at Night with your host, Shelly. Musical guest, Shelly. And an exclusive interview with the one and only, is this right? Shelly. Again. Ladies and gentlemen,
2: your host, my man, Shelly.
7: And so we just started collaborating on different contents and uh, like what what, what, would, what would be included and um, things of that nature and at the end of it when the dust settled I really really feel like we came together with a valuable piece of footage that can continue on like we're going to do we're going to extend that oh, good. you know yeah it, it, it may even turn into something syndicated you know
4: it's got just a very cool vibe to it I hope there is more to come oh yes Anything that you would like to add about the competition tomorrow?
7: I just would like to say that I'm very, very excited and I'm just pleased to be back on the stage again. And I feel as though it's going to show I'm not coming to play no games. I'm giving tip-top excellence, not leaving out there without you know, what I'm saying like, you know, like, 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 if you watch Dragon Ball Z after Goku hit the Kamehameha, he's tired. You know, he gave it his all. That's what I'm gonna do.
4: Good job.
5: Y'all go get y'all tickets. Me versus Shelly. I'm finna kill my brother. I love him, but it's over for him.
4: Well, Shelly Jr. Boogie J1. Thank you all so much for taking the time to chat with City Lights ahead
1: of tomorrow night's event.
7: All right. Thank you very much for having us.
5: Shout out to NPR, and that's it.
1: That's all I got. Musicians Shelley and Westside Boogie speaking with City Light senior producer Kim Drobes. They were also joined by Jay one the host of Sound Clash, and the Love Renaissance label's founder, Junia Abidu. The Red Bull Sound Clash is happening tomorrow night. Tuesday, November 30th, at the Eastern. More information is available on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., author, chef, and ticket. Tak Finam Joanne Lee Molinaro joins us to share details of her new cookbook, The Korean Vegan. If you missed part of today's show, you can catch up on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. There you'll find our complete archive of interviews, so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Trose, Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Wrights, and we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. Share your feedback with us on Facebook at W-A-B-E City Lights. Or check out our pictures and videos on Instagram, where we are at City Lights underscore Lois Reitzes. And of course, I'd love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thank you for listening to W-A-B-E, Atlantis Choice for NPR.